It was January 2nd, 2013, and I woke up in bed, and I had a million thoughts racing through my head, and so I was kind of just sitting there thinking about things. And my wife wakes up, we start chatting for a few minutes, and then I go to get in the shower to kind of start my day, and all of a sudden my wife bursts into the bathroom, and she said, did you forget something? And I was like, ah, I don't know how to answer that question. Um which I should have known, though, because January 2nd is a significant date in my life and my wife's life because it's her birthday. Now, she doesn't like her birthday for this reason. She thinks people forget about it. So, Christmas, December 25th, New Year's, January 1st, her birthday, January 2nd. So she's like, people always forget my birthday. Now, to my defense, I was planning a surprise birthday party for her later that day. And when I was in bed, I was thinking about all the different details that I had to still do for her birthday party. But I couldn't tell her that. And so, eventually we laughed about it. Eventually. We did laugh about it and it was good. And uh, I may or may not have forgotten about things in the past in my relationship with my wife. Inside of my wedding ring, my anniversary date is inscribed there, and she inscribed it in there. She didn't want me to forget that. And so how many of us, we've forgotten something significant? Probably most of us. Wives, how many of you have husbands that have forgotten something significant? My wife's hand would be way up and high. Uh, all, all of us, we, kind of, we have different levels of, of remembering. And when a spouse or someone close to you forgets something, why do you feel bad? Well, you feel bad because you're saying, if they really cared about me, then they'd remember about this thing. Right? And now, is it true that if we forget about it, we don't care? No. It just means we're busy and we're not good at remembering all the time. Some of you are in here saying, how could you possibly forget about her birthday? And I'd say, you're probably really good at remembering. Right? Maybe you use calendars really well. You have an app. Maybe you're just really good at it. Pastor Barry, he has a Blackberry. So not a Blackberry phone, but a little calendar book from Staples that's black. And so he didn't have a smartphone, so that was his Blackberry. Right? So now I think it's a Greenberry this year. And he keeps telling me, you need one of these. Because sometimes I forget when I'm supposed to meet with him. Uh, <laughs> happened twice. Um, no, but... But in reality, regardless of how good you are at remembering things, there's something that we all tend to forget. And it's not so much something that we forget kind of in our minds, but it's actually something we forget in our hearts. And we kind of forget about God in our hearts. Like, you don't wake up and say, I don't remember anything about God, but how God really impacts your life, we tend to kind of start to slowly lose that and forget that. Maybe that's not you, but one of the most spiritual people who ever lived said, I have this issue, and his name was David. He was the king of the Israelites, and he wrote most of, or not most, but he wrote many of the Psalms, which are the songs of Israel in the, in the book of Psalms. And so this morning, we're going we're gonna to see how he forgot and what did he need to do to remember. And so Psalm 103, that's where we're going to be this morning. If you have your Bible, you'll be able to follow along. Maybe you have an app. Uh, open up your app. Love to have you do that. Just a place to take notes. And then we'll also have it up here on the screen. But I have to tell you something interesting about this psalm. 
This psalm isn't a psalm that's kind of sung out to God to say how awesome God is. It's not even a psalm to say, hey, we should all sing this together. This is actually a psalm where David is singing or talking to himself. Okay, and, and so, it, so it's interesting. It starts off, Psalm 103, verses 1 and 2. This, this might be familiar to you. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my own inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. So David is talking to himself. He's saying, I need to talk to my inmost being, my soul. This is what we call our heart. So in, in Hebrew, the heart is kind of the seat of the emotions or the intellect. So this is where all that you think and feel and even what you do comes out of that. And David's admitting right here, we don't know what situation he's in. We don't know if he's depressed. We don't know if he's going through a crisis. We don't know where he's at. But he's admitting, I've forgotten who God really is, what he's really done in my life, and I need to remind myself. Now, how many of us, we tend to talk to ourselves, right? You're just like, yep, I talk to myself. I mean, you could be in your car talking to yourself and people think that's perfectly normal because of Bluetooth. But 10 years ago, right, you're talking in your car. If I'm next to you, I'm like, I need to get away from this guy because he might be a little crazy. So if you talk to yourself, I want to tell you, you're doing well, okay? Paul Tripp, he's an author, he said this, no one is more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. And so if you don't think you talk to yourself, then I have some news. Every time you look around the room and you wonder, what are people thinking about me? You're talking to yourself. When you have a fear about something, you're trying to decide to do or not to do something, you're talking to yourself. All of us talk to ourselves whether we know it or not. But the truth is, we need to get better at talking to ourselves about God. David says, when he reminds himself about God, when he talks to himself, when he meditates on God's word, something happens. And, and here's our big idea for this morning, if you're taking notes, that reminding yourself about God leads to praising God. That reminding yourself about God leads to praising God. David wants to remind himself about three different aspects about God, about what he's done, who he is, and then who we are kind of in relationship to God. So we're going to see these in Psalm 103 this morning, but before we read it, uh, let's, let's just pray and ask God to, to bless the preaching of his word. Father, as we just look at your word, I pray that it wouldn't just be words on a page, but they would be words that speak to our hearts and our minds and our emotions and our intellect. And my hope and prayer is for today, Lord, that you would allow us to put this into practice, not just this morning, but on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. Lord, that who you are would impact who we are. Help us this morning in your name. Amen. So let's take a look at what we need to remember, what we need to talk to ourselves about. The first point is this. We need to remember what God has done. Personally for me, when I'm starting off my time with God, or maybe I feel like I'm not as excited about God as I want to be. Um, and yes, right, just because you're a pastor or you've been a Christian for a long time doesn't mean that you're just excited about God all the time. Sometimes you need to talk to yourself. You need to kind of amp yourself up a little bit. 
And the way I do that is actually using part of this passage. Because David is going to say, I need to remind my soul not to forget all of God's benefits. And so you can think, if you're a follower of Jesus or a follower of God, this is kind of God's benefit package. And he says five things that are, that are benefits. And really, these are things that God has done. So starting in verse 3, it says this, Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with the good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. So what are all of his benefits? Let, let's start off. We're just going to kind of go through this verse. It's going to be really clear to you. The first thing is this. He forgives all of our sins. So David wasn't a person who was oblivious to what he had done. He knows exactly when he did the things that he shouldn't have done and when he failed to do the things that he should have done. Uh, Pastor Joe preached on Psalm 51 a couple of weeks ago and David said this significant statement. He said, against you and you alone, God, have I sinned. So that doesn't mean that he didn't hurt other people when he sinned. That doesn't mean he didn't do things against other people. But he's saying, against God, that's the first person that I've disappointed and, and been against. And David says one of the greatest things God has done is what? Removed his sins. Later on we'll see he uses some metaphors to talk about how God has taken away his sins. And here's one significant thing we need to know about God taking away our sins. That if you're a follower of Jesus, when you became a follower of Jesus, God didn't just say, hey, everything you did before this, I forgave you of. But now you're on your own, right? God said, when you became a follower of Jesus, all of your past sins are forgiven. All of your present sins right now are forgiven. And all of your future sins are forgiven. And so it's an amazing benefit if you let it sink in. Secondly, he said this, that he heals all of your diseases. There's a healing, a spiritual healing here, but there's also physical healing. Forgiving our sins is instantaneous, but healing isn't always. So a few weeks ago, I was talking to someone in the back after service, and they said, you know what? A year ago, I had ulcers, and I've had ulcers my entire life, and someone prayed over me here, and God miraculously healed me and took them away. That's amazing that God can do that. I've seen him do that over and over again, but he doesn't always do it that way. Sometimes it takes a longer time. And then unfortunately, sometimes it's just, he's not going to heal our diseases until we die. And then we get to be in heaven with him if we're following him, where there's no more pain or tears or suffering. And so he forgives our sins. He heals our diseases. And then he redeems our lives from the pit. The word pit is the word sheol, which just is another word for the place of the dead. And redeeming means he buys us back so that we don't have to suffer with him for eternity. It also might mean, especially in David's context, that he's taken us from hard places and brought us out. So he redeems our, redeems our lives from the pit. But then here's one of, one of the most significant ones to me, that he crowns you with love and compassion. See, not only does God somehow kind of bring us up, you know, he says like, hey, I'm not going to let you struggle in this pit for any longer, but now I'm going to raise you up and I'm going to crown you with love and compassion. This is royal language. So think about um, when a king is crowned and they put it on, he gets all these powers, all these blessings, people start to honor him. Well, listen, when we become a follower of Jesus, we get the love and compassion of God in our lives that we can know whatever we're going through, he's there. And then lastly, the fifth benefit is this, that he satisfies your desires with good things 
so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Not the Philadelphia eagles. Just for clarification. They aren't mentioned in the Bible at all. But when he satisfies our desires with good things, that doesn't mean he gives us everything we want. Because all of us have desires. We might even have long lists of desires. But here's what I think. I'm not sure if God satisfied every one of our desires that that would make our lives better or even more like him over the long haul. When he satisfies our desires, what I think he's really saying is that God knows exactly what we need. And so because of that, he gives us the good things that we actually need. And when he does that, then it gives us passion for life and a will to keep going on. And they use a picture of the eagle in, in Scripture. And eagles, they, they kind of fly effortlessly above the ground and, and they attack things powerfully. And they're just kind of full of strength. And so other places in the Bible, it talks about our strength being renewed like eagles. But that's the metaphor that they use. So God gives you good things so that you have strength to pursue him and a passion for life. See, David's telling his soul not to forget about all of these benefits. He's trying to meditate on God's word. Now, meditation and memory recall are different things. Okay, so you might be able to recall things about God and who God is, but meditating on God and who he is in his word is different. Here's what I say meditation is like, and this isn't popular in American Christianity and, and not super popular for all of us, but meditation is really this, trying to understand how you're feeling and thinking and who you are, and then wrestling with those things that aren't right. And then praying through that and bringing God's word into that to help you think rightly about God and about yourself. So that's what meditation really is. Meditating on God's word isn't just saying, all right, I'm going to read the verse of the day today and then uh, let me go on with my day. Right? Is that bad? No. But meditating on God's word is really saying, how does this affect my life? What does this do? And, and this, is, this verse is a great place to start. So some people do that through journaling. Um, they just kind of write down how they're feeling and then bring God's word into it. Some people just do it by just talking out loud to God. And you're just sharing with God how you're feeling and what you're thinking. And then you're saying, God, help me to believe you. Help me to believe you are who you say you are. Some people memorize scripture and then just bring that up whenever they're feeling a certain way. But when we meditate on God's word and, and who he is, we're not just meditating on, on these things that we see in scripture, but we're meditating on how God's actually done these things in my life. So you're meditating on, man, God's done all of this and I don't deserve it and here's the ways I don't deserve it, but God's still giving it to me. You're, you're thanking him for the specific things that he's done in your life. For when he's healed you, for when he's given you strength, for when you felt like you were at the pit, but God brought you up out of it. So it's not just, man, I'm going to meditate on these words about God, but on what he's actually done for me. And so this week, someone who's close to me, they'd been looking for kind of a new job that had better pay. And they called me up and they said, guess what? I called this one place and they had a job opening, but it wasn't exactly what I was looking for. And so I told them, hey, that's not exactly what I'm looking for. I need to do this, this, and this in there. And the person on the other end of the line said, I'll talk to my boss and see if we can't, can't work something out. And so I was excited for them that they said this, but I was a, a little doubtful if I'm honest. I'm like, are they really going to make kind of this new position? 
But I prayed anyways, God, have your way, do your work, you know. And about a couple days ago, two days ago, they called me and said, hey, listen, they made the new position for me, and it's a significant pay increase. And I was just reminded, man, how good is God to us? That he would, he would do something that I think, I don't know why they would do that, and he would make it work. So that's one of the things that you can meditate on God's word about it and kind of remind your own heart and soul. So we know we need to be reminded about what God has done, but we also, secondly, need to be reminded about who God is. We need to remind ourselves not just what he's done, but who he is. And so David's trying to remind himself, but I, I think the way he's doing that, it, it's kind of abstract to say God is like this, and God is like this, and God is like this. So he goes to a story that he knows, that he's heard probably growing up his entire childhood, and he goes off of that to remind himself who God is. And so David is an Israelite, and the Israelites started with a guy named Abraham, and God made a bunch of promises to Abraham to say he's going to make him this huge nation and give him this very specific land. And so as the story of Israel goes on, uh, they end up having to go to Egypt because of a famine, and then they multiply into millions of people, and the king of Egypt, his name's Pharaoh, he enslaves them, right? So they're oppressed. And so they start crying out to God, and as they cry out to God, God hears them, he miraculously rescues them, right? Brings ten plagues on the Egyptian, brings them out, opens up an ocean or a sea, lets them walk through it, crushes the Egyptian army, and then they're out in the desert, and what does God do? God gives them water miraculously, he makes food rain down from the sky, and he gives them shoes that never wear out, which... I wish my wife had shoes that never wore out because there's a lot of shoes in our closet. And so she has to get new ones when they wear out. The Israelites, they didn't have that excuse, right? God made it possible that their shoes never wore out for 40 days. And yet in the midst of all that, what happened? They kept forgetting about God. Not necessarily what he did, but who he was and how he was going to provide. And they kept questioning God over and over again. We know you've done all this stuff, but are you going to continue to work? Are you going to continue to be there? They just keep forgetting. It's kind of like us. We forget the things that God's done. And so uh, Moses, he goes up on this mountain and he's getting the Ten Commandments, very famous scene. But he's up there and the Israelites are like, you know what? Is he going to come down ever? So let's build a new God. And so they get all this gold together. They build this big cow out of gold that they say we're going to worship him now. And they say this is our God that brought us out of Israel. And of course it isn't. And so, so Moses finally comes down. He gets super angry. He throws the tablets down on the ground. They crumble. And then he finds this golden calf. And he takes it. And I don't know how he does it. But somehow he grinds this golden statue down. Puts it in the water. Makes the people drink it. And it's kind of just a bad time for Israel. But then, God says, I'm still not done with these people. And we're going to look at Exodus 34 to kind of see, after this happened, what was the next step? So Exodus 34, it's talking about Moses. It says, so Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first one and went up to Mount Sinai early in the morning. As the Lord had commanded him, and he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. 
Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Why do I think David was thinking of this story? Because he tells himself the same thing about God, how he's loving and compassionate. And he also said that God revealed himself to Moses and the people of Israel. And so as David thinks of this story, he's reminding himself, and I think when we, when we want to remind ourselves who God is, there's three pictures that God gives us in the following verses. And so the first picture we get that God is a judge who gives justice. And here's where we see that. Verses 6 and 7. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. So in our day, when you think of a judge, or at least when I think of a judge, I think of someone who's giving out punishments for criminals. Because that's what we see on TV, right? They go into the court... And they give out a punishment, they found guilty, and that's what a judge does. But in, in biblical times, judges had a bigger role than that because they would be judging between two people or two groups of people, and they would try to be make, make things right for the people who are oppressed. And so the word justice or justified doesn't just mean like made right, but kind of brought back up on their feet and given them exactly what they need, what they, what they should have gotten in the beginning. And so that's the kind of God that God is. So when he heard the Israelites crying in, the de- or crying in Egypt, he, he kind of took down their captors. And then it says when they were leaving Egypt, their neighbors gave them articles of gold and silver. So not only did they get freedom, but now they were wealthy walking out of Egypt. I told you about this past Friday. My family and I, we sat in front of a judge. This wasn't a criminal judge, but it was an adoption judge. You know, they made a ruling that our daughter Saidi would officially be part of our family. This judge is giving a child who I would say has faced oppression and lots of hardship a new family. They're giving her a new future, one that she should have had from the beginning if the things that happened to her didn't happen to her. See, that's the kind of judge that God is. He's not the judge that's condemning you. He's the judge that's setting things right. And if you're in a situation where things need to be set right, you can trust that God will do that. You may not see it right away, but God will do it. So the first picture we see is God is a God who gives justice. The second picture we see is a God who is a loving Savior. Verses 8 through 12, this will sound like the Exodus passage too. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. This is how God describes himself 
to Moses and to the people of Israel that he's slow to anger and abounding in love. Being slow to anger is actually a picture of God with a big nose. Okay? God has a big nose, meaning that, that he takes a long time for him to get angry, like getting red. It takes a long time for him to get here. That he's compassionate and full of love. This word love is the Hebrew word hesed. That might not sound significant to you, but, but when I think of the word hesed, this is what it meant. It's the unfailing love that you have for a family member. A love that's not fickle, that's not going to last like, hey, if, if you disrespect me, then I'm not going to love you anymore. No, no. It's the kind of love that's always there with you, that's always going to be there. It's his hesed love, his loving kindness. And so God reveals himself in, in verses 10 and 12, right? He says that he does not treat us as we deserve or repay us for iniquities. That as high as you can think about, as high as to the heavens. That's how big his love is. And yet he, he goes kind of vertical and then he goes horizontal, right? He says, from the east to the west, that's how far away your sins are from me. So as you walk west, I don't know if this is west, but th this is what we're going to say. As far as you can walk west, when you look over the east, it gets further and further. And as far as you walk east, the west gets further and further. What's God saying? Your sins are vanquished, that they're invisible to God. And that's what he does through, through uh, the power of Jesus Christ. And yet, if you're paying attention closely, you might ask this question. Which one is it? Does God punish people for their guilty, and is he a just judge? Or is he merciful and forgives us from our sins and doesn't punish us? And the answer is yes. That's the answer. Because the prophet Isaiah, he, he makes it very clear for us. Isaiah 53, 5. He's writing this, and it's a prediction about Jesus. And here's what it says. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. So what happened when Jesus died on the cross? He took the punishment that we deserve. So that means that God is a God of justice and he does bring punishment for those who are guilty. And yet if you're a follower of Jesus in this room, Jesus took on that punishment for you and for me. So God doesn't just say, hey, I'm going to let your sins slide or I'm just going to kind of wink at your sin. Nope. He punishes our sins in Jesus Christ. But because of Jesus Christ, we can accept his mercy and he treats us like we've never done anything wrong in our entire lives. See, that's the good news of Jesus Christ. That yes, God's a God of justice. And at the same time, God's a God of mercy and he loves us. And so you are far worse than you can imagine. And yet you are far more loved than you could ever imagine. And so God is a just judge and a loving Savior. We need to see that. And lastly, he's, he gives us the picture of a compassionate father. Verses 13 through 14 says this. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. So we need to see God as a father and and. Not just as the same as our earthly father, but if you imagine what a perfect father might be, that's who God is. He's our perfect father. And what does it say? He treats us according to how he knows us. 
And so you didn't have a perfect father. I didn't have a perfect father. I am not a perfect father. Okay, I try to be a compassionate father. It's really hard after our kids go to bed and keep waking up and asking questions and wanting water. And I'm not as compassionate, but I need to be. But I have an eight-year-old, a four-year-old, and a four-month-old. Okay, I have higher expectations for my eight-year-old than I do my four-year-old. I have different expectations on my four-year-old than my four-month-old. Because my four-month-old, right, she smiles and she eats and she pukes and she poops. And that's kind of the extent of her life. But at the end, after she makes a mess of herself, I'm not saying, hey, Santina, you need to clean yourself up now. Right? Maybe my four-year-old or eight-year-old I'm saying that to, but not to a baby. And see, God is compassionate and merciful and loving towards us. And he treats us like he knows we need to be treated. And so we need to see God as our just judge, the one who's going to make things right, as a loving Savior, and then as a Father who cares for us, who wants the best for us, not just just kind of what's most easy for him. So as we remember who God is and what he's done, we can't stop there. We need to remind ourselves about something else. We need to remember who we are. See, David stops for a second from talking about God directly to thinking about what humans are in comparison to God. So, so what does David say about who we are as, as a humans? Well, verse 15 and 18 says this. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. And his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenants and remember to obey his precepts. What's David saying? Our lives are short and we're not in control. Okay, that might be news to some of you, but our lives are short and we're not in control. Like the grass that you cut or someone cut for you, it was alive a little while ago, but now that part is dead. Or the flower that's in the middle of the storm that gets blown over by the wind and is no more. See, he's saying our lives are somewhat insignificant in the big scope of the entire eternity of the world. We live just this short amount of time. And he's trying to remind himself because he's comparing it with God's everlasting love that even though our lives are insignificant, that God still gives us his significant love. And so I have a theory. I have a theory that we often forget about God. Right? Not not forget about everything that, that God is or everything we've learned, but we forget about who God is in our hearts. Because we either think... We don't need him because everything is going well in our life. And so it's easy just to kind of say, you know what? Things are going well. I don't really need God right now. My family's doing good. No one's sick. No one's hurting. There's no crises. Or we tend to try to forget about God because we actually don't want him. We don't want someone to tell us what we need to do or not do. See, I often want to be in charge of my own life and make my own decisions And sometimes, maybe it's not overtly, but I'll say, you know what, I don't really want to know what you have to say about this God because I want to do what I want to do right now. And so we tend to forget about God that way. Let me ask you a question. How do you feel when someone forgets about you? 
Like let's say you go away on vacation and you come back to work. And people at work say, hey, I didn't even notice you were gone. Or let's say you went on a, a work trip and you came back to your family. And you came back and they're like, hi. We didn't even notice you weren't here. How does that make you feel? Just put yourself in that place. You come back and someone says, hey, I didn't even notice that you weren't with me. Makes you feel alone. Makes you feel angry. Makes you feel unvalued. See, it doesn't feel good to be forgotten, and yet what do we do? What did the Israelites do? What did David do? What do we do? We tend to forget about God. So we come to church on Sundays, and we're here, and we're singing songs and praising God, and maybe we start to remember about God a little bit here, but sometimes we go through our week and we're not really thinking about God. Maybe when we need help, but in our hearts are really embracing who God is and what he's done. See, if God is the eternal, most significant being in the universe, if that's who he is, and someone like me says, you know what, God, I'm going to forget about you. What's the logical reaction for God? To forget about us. Right, like if someone says, I don't really care about you, the logical reaction is to say, you know what, I'm not going to care about you either. But that's not what it says God does in this passage. It says that he remembers us with his everlasting love. See, it's significant there that David says that the grass of the field and the flowers wither away and no one remembers them anymore. See, that's how our lives should be. But God did something in Jesus Christ that changed that. See, when Jesus was on the cross, we know he died to pay for our sins, but we get a little glimpse behind the curtains into what was actually happening. Because Jesus, when he was on the cross, he quotes another psalm, and he says these words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, because Jesus took on all of our sin, a holy God can't be with someone who has sin. And so he forgot about Jesus so we could be remembered. That's what happened on the cross, that, that God forgot about Jesus so that we could be remembered, so that we could join Jesus as his son and his daughter of God, so that we could be with God eternally. tell you today that God hasn't forgotten about you. When we were singing in worship earlier, there were words on the screen in one of the songs that said, God has not forsaken you. And the Holy Spirit said, Andrew, someone in here, maybe more than one person, feels like God has forsaken them. Feels like God isn't with them anymore. That he's not near them. And I want to tell you this morning, God hasn't forsaken you. That even if you've run far from God and you said, I'm not following him and I don't have him, he's with you and he's 
wants to be near you and so he's calling you back to himself and he's saying I love you and I care for you in all of our lives we need to remember that God remembers us if you don't know God as your father today if you've never accepted Jesus as the leader of your life today he's saying I'm here stop waiting embrace me And that just means you say, God, I want to follow Jesus. I'm going to ask you to forgive my sins and help me follow after you. And today you can make that commitment. See, as David has spent time reminding himself about God, it started to change something inside of him. It's kind of telling his heart, not just facts, but truth. And so we see David amp up his praise, right? In in Psalm 103, as he ends this, it says this, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. And then these are commands. He said, praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. So he's telling the, the highest beings, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, all you heavenly hosts servants who do his will and then he says praise the Lord all his works everywhere in his dominion he's saying everything should praise God because what God's done and then lastly he says praise the Lord my soul see I think in the beginning of the psalm he was trying to convince himself I need to praise God I need to remember to do this but now that he's rehearsed all of these things and meditated on them now he's saying praise the Lord Oh my, so there's a genuine praise and worship of Jesus because he understands what's happened in his life, all the things that God has done. So let's reflect on on what David said here. And we remind our souls of what God has done and who he is and who we are. More than just reading the passage, as we let it sink in, I think two things will happen. The first one is, we'll praise him and thank him. The second one is this, that we'll strive to live a life that pleases him. Not out of gratitude, or not out of, uh, not of wanting him to love us more, but out of gratitude for all that he's done. See, maybe you've picked up on the little hints three times. David said that God loves those who fear him. See, that's not being afraid of God but being in awe of what he's done and when you get inside of you what God's done you want to live for him out of gratitude for all of that and so this morning I want to end by singing and we're going to sing a song uh, partially based off this psalm called 10,000 Reasons so I'd love all of us to rise this morning We're going to put the words on the screen. And this is just a way to meditate on all that God's done and to sing praise to him. And so this morning, if if you just want to meditate on what God's done, that's fine. But if you want to sing praise to him, let's do that in response to all that he's done for us and who he is. And so we'll sing, and then I'll pray, and we'll be dismissed.